Travis Wingfield. I'm ready to go in, coach. Just give me a chance. I know there's a lot riding on it, but it's all psychological. Just got to stay in a positive frame of mind. You are Locked On Dolphin, your daily podcast on the Miami Dolphin, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, Miami! What is up, Dolphins, and welcome into the Monday, June the 11th edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast. I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and I'm here to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football. And on today's show, we have a special guest joining us to talk about all things analytics and how to apply them to this particular Miami Dolphins team from snap count distinctions, Kenyon Drake's impressive end of the 2017 season, the performance of this offensive line in 2018, and so much more. But first, I want to ask you guys to please subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. That really helps us get out to more Dolphins. And for the podcast to continue to grow and be able to bring you a show every single day, please give me a follow on Twitter. Voted the best follow on Dolphins Twitter by my peers at Wingfield NFL. And follow the show at Locked On Fins. Of course, LockedOnDolphins.com, a piece up there right now talking about the detriment that Mike Pouncey was to this football team and how moving on from him was a good thing. And of course, the other Locked On Sports family of podcasts like the Locked On Heat podcast and Locked On NFL podcast for all that local and national coverage of your favorite teams. Again, I am Travis Wingfield a lifelong fan of the Miami Dolphins and I've been writing for this team for over 10 years now and podcasting for two years so your go-to source for all things Miami Dolphins every single day and we have a special guest on the podcast today is the Monday interview on the Lockdown Dolphins podcast we have Ryan Smith from Pro Football Focus coming on to talk about analytics and I could not wait to get him on because as you guys know I am 50% film junkie, 50% analytics, advanced data, and all that stuff that goes into that. And Ryan Smith provides us with fantastic information throughout the course of the year. They are partnered with us at Locked On Dolphins over at Pro Football Focus. Let's go ahead and get Ryan here on the podcast. That's another Miami Dolphins. And I'm joined now by Ryan Smith of Pro Football Focus. He operates the Miami Dolphins page at PFF, and you can find him on Twitter at PFF underscore Ryan Smith and at PFF underscore Dolphins. Ryan, thanks for coming on the show today, man. Thanks for having me. How are you doing today? I'm doing really good, man. It's a nice little Sunday. The weather's not too great here today, so I'm kind of stuck inside doing film and, and talking to you about some football. And I've been looking forward to this podcast for a while now. We planned it about 10 days ago or so. And you know that I'm, I'm a huge film guy. I'm a huge analytics guy. And, and you do such a good job with the PFF stuff. I use it in my articles all the time. And the first thing I wanted to ask you is just kind of how you got into the, into the analytics side of football and also into pro football focus in general. Yeah, so I've been with PFF for three years now, and um, it's kind of just what you see now promoted. Um, send out an application, get you know, get involved with a hiring team like that, and you basically just start off part-time. Um, it's a lot of data collection. Um, you put your work in, you start making a name for yourself, you get involved with other things. You get involved with the writing, you get involved with the analytics team. Um, over the last year, we've gotten really big on the graphics. I'm sure if you noticed, if you follow um, the PFF Twitter account, and it's just putting that work in over time and just um, building up your reputation within the company. And it's kind of led me to uh, a full-time gig, and I'm very happy with how it's turned out. Yeah, that's really cool, man. It's, it, if you, as long as you can get on the ground floor or something, usually you can you can work your way up. And if you have that, the passion for it, it, really it works out for you as it has for you. But it, it makes me curious, though, because you know the more I've gotten into more of a profession over being a fan, I suppose, is the way I guess I would put it. I, I find myself looking for different things when I watch the game. So for you as an analyst slash fan, like what are some things that your eyes 
gravitate towards first or what are some things that you really, really, really focus on when you watch a game? Yeah, so ever since I've gotten involved with PFF, it, we're looking less about the stats and more about what, what's happened on the play. So um, we like to say context is key. So I'll give you an example. Um, two years ago, Vic Beasley led the league in sacks, and he had 15 and a half. Um, but the number of quarterback pressures that he had wasn't even close to the top of the league. So in our eyes, that's not something that can transfer over from year to year. It's not sustainable. Um, getting a sack every four or so rushes you're getting to the to the quarterback on a pressure, that's just not realistic. Whereas Khalil Mack only had 11 sacks, maybe four and a half less than Beasley, but he had 40 more pressures. So in our eyes, what Mack was doing for the season was far more impressive than Beasley, even though some people may look at it and say, oh, you know, Beasley had four and a half more sacks. And I think that's the common trend that happens, um, people looking at stats. and But there's so much that goes into every play. Um, a guy could get a cleanup sack versus a guy could – break a triple team and get a sack there's just there's just so many things that happen on a play that gets to that grade in the the stat in general that need to be looked at even more and you can really take that over to any stat in football the, the typical volume stats like passing yardage and all that stuff too but I think you you make a good point there because Cameron Wake is someone that has just blown up your guys's grading system and for my for my money the pass rush productivity stat is your guys's best thing you do I love that stat and the weighted with the different the different weight for sacks compared to hits compared to hurries. And then also a guy that that brings up in mind is Charles Harris, because I think you're high on him. You're bullish on Charles Harris the way I am, because unlike Vic Beasley, he was getting a lot of pressures where he was getting those almost sacks that he wasn't converting into sacks. Yeah. um, Last year with Harris, he, he started out strong at the beginning of the year. Like he had a very good game against the Saints, that game in London. And then he kind of hit that, you know, rookie wall midseason. But he turned it on at the end of the year. That game at Kansas City was definitely his best of the year. And he had a strong game at Buffalo, too. Um, and then the last game of the year, I think he only played two or three snaps. So he, didn't, he wasn't really involved in that. But it was nice to see him end the year on a high note. And uh, that's something I'd be happy about as a Dolphins fan. And so one of the fa- your favorite players on the team that you've talked about with me a couple of times just alone is Kenyon Drake and someone that you're very, very bullish on in terms of his his output for 2018 and beyond. And the Dolphins are excited about this guy. I'm excited about this guy. The fans are excited about this guy. What can you tell me about Kenyon Drake to get the guys even more pumped up about what they have in this running back? Yeah, so it's easy to sit there and look at. I think a lot of people know um, he led the league in rushing over, the, I believe it was the last five weeks of the year. But there's so much more that goes into that. So we had the Dolphins' offensive line as the worst run-blocking unit in the league, like dead last. It was it was terrible. So for Drake to lead the league in rushing, despite that, is like it's it's incredible. It's hard it's hard to really put into words how hard that is to do. And one key stat why that was the case was because he led the league in yards after contact per attempt. So this guy's getting hit in the backfield. He's always falling forward. Um, and that's, that's a huge thing for a running back. You always want to get that extra yard, but and he, he always does. He always gets that extra one yard, two yard, three yards. And over the course of the game, that really adds up. And it's something that I'm, I'm curious about is the 2016 production because obviously we know what happened with Jay Ajayi. He burst onto the scene for about an 11-12 game stretch there. But before that, you go back to that Cleveland game in week three, and I thought Kenyon Drake looked like he was going to seize that role once you know Arian Foster got banged up and there wasn't a really clear definitive running back number one in the offense. Isaiah P., Jay Ajayi, Kenyon Drake, all of these kind of unproven names and he looked like he was stepping up to the to the plate at that time did you see something there or were there some numbers there from pro football focus you can tell us that would give us a bit of a a foresight into what we saw this year or was it just kind of an explosion this year we didn't really see coming 
Well, I, th- I think the, the the year before, he only played just over 100 snaps, so that it, there wasn't a lot of um, data to go on to say, you know, this guy's going to break out. But in his limited snaps, he was making impressions. Like, I think he had the kick return versus the Jets, I believe, that really won them the game that one week. And they were just – every time he got on the field, it, it looked like good things happened. But at the same time, you had Ajayi, who was putting up monster numbers in the league for us as well. Um, he led the league in yards after contact the year before. So these Dolphin running backs, they're coming through. They're getting smacked up behind the line of scrimmage, and they're, they're making plays out of it despite that. So it's testament to the, to the group that they've had there, um, despite the offensive line being very poor. Yeah, it's, it seems like it's the one position impervious to change, and it just continues to push out quality backs. And hopefully Kenyon Drake can be a long-term guy here, and, and Kalen Balaj as well. But we've got plenty more analysts come with Ryan Smith. He's from Pro Football Focus. You can find him on Twitter at PFF underscore Ryan Smith or at PFF underscore Dolphins. But before we get into that, I have to talk to you guys about BlueChew.com. Are you grading out like a washed-up veteran when it comes to the bedroom? Has your performance fallen lower than the Dallas Thomas's 2015 Pro Football Focus grade? Then I've got just a thing for you. Listen up. BlueChew.com. That's blue, not red. BlueChew.com brings you the first chewable with the same FDA-approved active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis, so you know they work. You can take them anytime, day or night, after a big Finns win or when she wants to console you after a heartbreaking loss, even on a full stomach. And since they're chewable, they work up to twice as fast as a pill, so you can be ready whenever an opportunity arises. Blue Chew is prescribed online and shipped straight to your door in a discreet package, so no more in-person doctor's visits, no more waiting at the pharmacy, and best of all, no more awkward conversations. They're made in the USA, and since Blue Chew prepares and ships direct, they're cheaper than a pharmacy. Right now, we've got a special deal for our listeners only. Visit BlueChew.com and get your first shipment free when you use our special promo code Locked On. Just pay $5 shipping. Again, that's B-L-U-E-Chew.com. Promo code locked on. Try it today for free. Blue Chew is the better, cheaper, faster choice, and we thank them for sponsoring the podcast. And we're back here joined with Ryan Smith of ProFootballFocus.com. He runs the PFF Miami page. If you guys aren't following him on Twitter, you ought to do that. We refer to the stats and the stuff PFF does on the podcast as well as the site all the time. He is a just a tremendous source of Dolphins knowledge. And Ryan, I want to talk to you about some more of these Dolphins lightning rods, so to speak. And the one that really seems to be getting himself into the news for negative reasons, whether it's beef with the former player or the fact that he can't stay healthy, whatever it might be, is Devontae Parker. Now, you told me you have some stuff that might be a little bit more encouraging to the fans in regards to Devontae Parker going into year number four. Yeah, so... So with Parker, um, a lot of I guess now it's turned into a lot of off the field annex and whatnot. But um, we just look at what's happening on the field. We don't really get involved with all that other stuff. But um, last year, so a lot of Dolphin fans might be surprised by this, but we we dug up the data and so Parker is going up against you know top graded cornerbacks every week. You know he plays in a good division with good cornerbacks, so naturally that's going to happen. So last year. Um, against our top 30 graded cornerbacks, over half of his routes were run against them. Um, only Antonio Brown did that more. So there's something to be said for that, that every time this guy lines up, he's facing the best cornerback, and not only the best cornerback on the team, but these are top the top cornerbacks in the league. Um, and to along with that, the percentage of targets that he had was over 40%, again, second to Antonio Brown. So half of his routes are against top 30 cornerbacks, um, 40% of his targets are against top 30 quarterbacks so if you're looking at the production you're saying oh this guy you know he's not scoring enough touchdowns he's not doing enough of this and that 
At the same time, how much has this guy helped a guy like Landry? And that's what you have to ask yourself. And as a Dolphins fan, um, I would say it's a lot more than people would initially think. And like you said off the top of the show, everything requires context. And you go to like a Patriots game, for instance, when the Dolphins are playing the Patriots, and Jarvis Landry gets these double teams because Bill Belichick is obsessed with stopping Jarvis Landry when they play the Miami Dolphins. And I've seen Landry fans on Twitter say, well, Landry commands double team. That's why his stats aren't at this certain point. But then you go over to Devontae Parker, and that same argument doesn't really translate. So I'm just curious because I'm sitting here watching touchdown cutups today. That's kind of one of the things I've been doing. I'm looking at Antonio Brown, Odell Beckham, Julio Jones, the best guys in the league. And they always seem to get this one-on-one coverage off the boundary side of the formation, and they have to win with a two-way go either way. And that just seems like a perfect spot for Devontae Parker for me. Is that something that you can recognize, too, with a a possibility for better red zone production? Or where can he get better? Is it something that they're going to have to just hope that that's not the case again this year? Or, like, what can he do to get better? Yeah, I mean, I definitely agree with that. Everybody last year, you know, there was a lot of hype about him being having a breakout year. But when Tannehill went down, I think the expectations kind of just went out the window because the Dolphins, they did not throw down the field at all last year. Like the, the number of throws that they threw down the field over 20 yards was like little to none. Um, so as far as Parker, you know, going up for those jump balls and high pointing the ball and those big plays, it wasn't really in the works for him. And then of course he had the injuries, but the whole other conversation, but I think that the whole offense just went down the, went down the drain when Tannehill got hurt. And, um, I would expect him to have a good year this year, but again, health, health of Tannehill, it, it all matters. It all comes into one there. Yeah, I'm really curious to see what he does this year because in that Philadelphia preseason game and then week it was week two with Dolphins' first game against the Chargers, he had a couple of plays where he plucked the ball off the defensive back's helmet. And then, like you said, that number went out the window because I, I did a study on it earlier. I can't recall the exact numbers, but the average touchdown pass, the length of the touchdown pass in 2016 was like 20-something yards. And then last year it was like 11 yards. So just like half the distance, like you mentioned, literally no vertical passing game. So Devontae Parker, we're expecting more out of him. Another guy that you like and that I like as well is right tackle Jawan James. What can you tell me about him from a PFF grade standpoint? Yeah, so James has been their top offensive lineman for, for years now. I mean, last year he got hurt, but he was having a career year. And I go back to the, the first game of the year versus the Chargers. He absolutely destroyed Bosa. Like, I don't know how many games you could actually look up for Bosa um, playing poorly, but James won that battle all day long. And that was a, a big reason why the Dolphins won that game. And I don't think it was talked enough about, you know, they got that the field goal at the end that was missed and whatnot, but James shut him down and he had a great year. He's he's always been a um, good pass protector. He's improved in the run as well. And every year since his rookie year, his PFF grade has gone up, and that's a good sign to see that a player that is young is progressing and getting better each year. So I think Miami re-signing him was a was a big deal, and they needed to do that. Can we talk about the offensive line in general in terms of what their goal was this offseason? Because as you know, Ryan, one of the themes of the national media narrative this year, this spring and summer is that the Dolphins are regressing in every way possible. They let go of Mike Pouncey and brought in Dan Kilgore, which is thought of as a, a, a regression on the offensive line at center. Now, this team is, they're building to be a better pass-protecting team. I think it's pretty clear. You talked about Jawan James, Laramie Tunzel. Mike Pouncey was pretty good in pass protection. Dan Kilgore is pretty much an even plane there. Josh Sitton, very good there. So what do you expect to see from this group as a whole, as a cohesive unit? Do you think that they're going to get better in pass protection and even in the running game, like where you mentioned they were just dreadful for the last couple of years? 
Yeah, well, I mean, you had a guy like Josh Sitton, everything gets better. This guy was a top-five guard last year. Um, dating back to 2009, he's graded out at 85.9, which is a good rating for us or better every single year. So you know what you're getting with this guy, and the Dolphins' guard situation, has, uh, I don't think we need to say it, but it's been pretty bad. So to go from you know uh, what they've had at the guard position to a Josh Sitton, they haven't had that in a long time, and I think – Having a guy like that over there with Tunzel is going to help Tunzel a lot as well. Um, so that's an immediate upgrade in both the run and the pass game. And then to get James back on the right side of the offensive line and then um, sliding Davis in there, I think this offensive line is much better. Um, Pouncey, I know there's a lot of talk that Pouncey leaving is a huge deal. Um, he did have a very good year pass pass blocking, but his run blocking is just it, it, it's just not there anymore. I just think the, the injuries have taken a toll on him and – even though he was able to play a lot last year, he's just not productive anymore. Yeah, the inability to practice. I think it was once a week he was practicing, and you can definitely see that in the way they were unable to pick up different stunts and twists, and like you mentioned, just being able to get out there on the running game. He's not the same athlete he used to be. But we have a lot more here coming with Ryan Smith from Pro Football Focus on the other side. He is at PFF underscore Dolphins and at PFF underscore Ryan Smith, and I'm at Wingfield NFL at Lockdown Fins. And we're back here for segment three with Ryan Smith from Pro Football Focus. He's talking about this 2017-2018 Dolphins in regards to their PFF data, and we really appreciate you doing that for us today, Ryan. Let's go ahead and talk about the guy that everyone wants to talk about, the quarterback, Ryan Tannehill, whether you love him or hate him. You guys seem to be more generous generous with his grade over the course of his career. Now, what would you say, like just data points grade-wise, Like, what would you say your perception is of Ryan Tannehill compared to what general perception is well Tannehill Tannehill's gonna make all of the right throws uh well not all the right throws when he gets under pressure that's when he his grade really drops um I think in 2016 he had the biggest differential between quarterback rating under no pressure we had it at 116.6 versus under pressure with 49.1 so that gap between pressure and no pressure it was by far the biggest gap in the NFL so that tells you all you really need to know about Tannehill is He's going to struggle under pressure. Most quarterbacks are going to, but for him, it's just been more than the norm. But when he's facing no pressure, he really tears it up, and um, I think that's the effort to build the offensive line the way they have, to get the ball out of his hands quicker. Um, we have a stat, so under 2.5 seconds throwing the ball, his passer rating in the league was third in 2016. Once he starts holding onto the ball a little bit longer, over 2.6, it drops to 27th. So the combination of getting the ball out quicker, getting the ball out under no pressure, makes him one of the better quarterbacks in the league. It's when he starts getting pressure, when he starts holding onto the ball, that he really starts to struggle. And a lot of folks want to say that, well, of course, any quarterback in the NFL doesn't have pressure would excel, but that's not the case, and it never has been the case. And even though Ryan Tannehill appears to be more sensitive to it than most, that's the case with a lot of quarterbacks. And one of the things you and I have talked about previously, Ryan, was his ability as a play-action passer. And all of these notes we're making, it makes it sound like Tannehill's just a complimentary piece, a guy that you have to support big time, which I, I agree for to an extent but I think he can make plays on his own. But you would think that this team, with how much he has shown in the play-action passing game, I think he finished top five in the league twice out of the five years of his career, and they just haven't built this solid running game around him, and it seems like maybe they're going to try to run the ball more when the numbers dictate, opposed to being a team that just slams it into a wall. Because last year with Jay it was, you know, first down, run the football. That was just how it was going to be. So do you think right. that with this 
I guess, remade offensive line with Kenyon Drake, Kalen Balazs, Frank Gore. Do you think the running game and the passing game can, can kind of work more in synchronicity, or is it still a lost cause for this team? Yeah, I think it is because I think you have running backs who are more dual threats than when Ajayi was out there. It was kind of like if Ajayi was on the field, you knew they were going to run it. Yeah. But now with guys like Drake, you're not so sure because he's a better receiver. So it's less, predict- uh, it's less, less predictable in that sense. Um, I think T- Tannehill gets a bad rap with some things. Like I hear all the time that he doesn't have a deep ball kind of thing. But if you look at the stats, so in 2016, thrown in the middle of the field, 20-plus yards down the field, his quarterback rating was 149.3, which is – almost a perfect quarterback rating. So for comparison purposes, last year, Cutler's rating in that same position down the field, middle of the field, 20 yards, was 1.9. So it's just the, the, the offense has just really, really shut down since Tannehill left. And him being back, granted he's coming off of an injury, um, it's just it's going to bring everybody's game up to another level again. It's really crazy to see that there there hasn't been like a growing admiration for Tannehill since the Jay Cutler thing happened. It almost seemed like it went the opposite way, which is the opposite of what I thought would happen. But let's go ahead and spin it back to the defense here, Ryan. We haven't talked about the defense at all. I mean, Minka Fitzpatrick, you got Bobby McCain on a new contract, Robert Quinn, all these new pieces that we're hoping to integrate pretty soon. Do you think this defense improves and in what areas? Um, definitely in the back end with Fitzpatrick. He's a guy we are very high on, um, kind of that hybrid player. He's going to be playing all over the field. Um, so last year he played mainly the slot cornerback position, something that McCain excelled in. They just re-signed him. Um, he plays a lot of safety. And so in, two years ago he played mainly safety at Alabama. Last year it was a lot of slot cornerback, um, but he excelled at both positions. So that's a good, a good thing to have on the defense. Uh, Quinn, wait and see. Um, about four or five years ago, he had the highest PFF grade that we've ever given out for an edge defender. Wow. Which it was ridiculous. Yeah. Um, but ever since then, he's kind of progressed on the down in the downhill. So, I mean, degress. So, with Quinn, I think the jury's still out on that. But with Fitzpatrick coming back and then another year with Tankersley and these guys in the back and Howard, we can get into that. Howard's second half last year was just ridiculous. But I think there's a lot of optimism and then with the linebacker unit as well, getting that some youth in there. So do you think that those two cornerbacks, you talked about Tankersley and Howard, they, you know, I think that both of them showed well. You mentioned the second half for Howard. I, I watched a little bit of the Falcons game earlier last night and today, and just watching him struggle on that final drive against Julio Jones and Mo Sanu, I was curious to get your thoughts on him and kind of what he did to make himself just become a different looking player because he struggled the first 16, 20 games or so in his career. Yeah, so last year, I know at the beginning of the year, there was a lot of, even on games where he wouldn't give up a lot of yards, a lot of people would be asking me, oh, you know, well, why was Howard's grade so low? So we we really hit guys for penalties. Yep. So if you're about to be beat for a 60-yard touchdown and you just tackle the guy, it, but you don't get docked for um, giving up a 60-yard touchdown. But in theory, you you had to do that to save the, save the play. And he had a lot of penalties. He had 12 penalties last year, which was the second most for a cornerback. So... Once he started to clean that up a little bit, and he st- I think Miami started to do more press coverage, he, he really locked down. He was an elite cornerback second half of the year. I think his p- passer rating when targeted went from about 97 to 39. Jeez. The first eight games and then the, the last eight games. So it, it was ridiculous. None, none more telling than that game versus the Patriots where he completely shut out Brandon Cooks. And a couple of picks, too. I mean, if he can replicate that for, I mean, if he, if he can even come close to replicating that, this defense takes such a huge step forward, in my opinion. But the one spot we haven't talked about yet, Ryan, we talked about pass rush, we talked about the offense and the secondary. What about this defensive tackle group? You guys, 
at, at Pro Football Focus and anyone really that has eyeballs knows that Ndamukong Sue is a dominant force. How are they going to be able to replace him? Is Akeem Spence, is Jordan Phillips, Devon Gacha, are these guys up for the task or, or how do they grade out? I think they have a great rotation the way it is. So you're going to have William Hayes on the, on the field on, you know, at base when you're expecting the run kind of thing. And you'll take him off, you'll put Wake on. Um, that's a nice mix and match right there. With um, Spence, he's a better pass rusher than he is run run defender. So you can get him out there in some nickel situations. Um, Phillips, a lot better um, versus, the pa- versus the pass than the rush, too. You can get him out there in nickel. And then Gotchow is a lot better versus the run. So you can get guys like Hayes and Gotchow out there in base defense, swap them out for guys like Phillips, Spence, Wake, Quinn, and then you have a, a real nice mix and keeping the bodies fresh down there. I think they have a nice uh, combination of skill set within the D-line there. And that seems to be the entire roster for the most part, just more about depth and being top-heavy. So we'll see how that plan works out. Let's talk about one more guy on the defense, Ryan, and it's a guy that was really vilified throughout the course of the fan base last year, Kiko Alonso. He had a guy drafted in, 26, or in 2017, once again in 2018 with Jerome Baker and Raekwon McMillan. He was in a lot of... <sighs> Positions where he wasn't set up to succeed, in my opinion. And I'm just curious, what are some of your thoughts on Kiko Alonso on his future with the football team going forward? Yeah, so Kiko, he, he was actually destroyed in coverage last year. He was playing out of position a lot. Not His skill set wasn't being due to the, to the best of his abilities. Um, but, but he's still a solid run defender, and I think that's what's important to point out. Um, he did a good, jo- good job in the run defending. But as far as coverage last year, we had him giving up 810 yards in coverage. The next highest linebacker was 602. So that's a huge gap um, to talk about the differential in the yards between first him and then the next highest player. So I think getting some more youth and athleticism with these guys that they have coming in right now, like McMillan and Baker, um, is going to be huge to keep Kiko Alonso maybe off the field more, maybe not an every down player, but I think that'll help the team and him in the long run. Yeah, it got really maddening watching them roll out with Lawrence Timmons and Kiko Alonso against four wide sets or two tight ends and two running, or whatever it was. They just weren't matching up personnel-wise, and I hope that's a big change this year. We should see that on the offensive side of the football too, especially in regards to the receiver position because we lost 166 targets in Jarvis Landry, and I wanted to ask you before we get out of here, what is your expectations for Albert Wilson coming into this offense? Is he going to be a direct replacement for Jarvis Landry or will that wealth just kind of be spread out? Um, I see it as more of the wealth being spread out um, since they brought in Amendola as well. It's hard to really say who out of those two is going to play more. Um, but Albert Wilson, he's the player that's graded out well for us despite limited snaps in Kansas City. Obviously, he's not going to be the first or second option with some of the weapons that they have over there. But in his limited snaps last year, we had, I think it was the third highest um, force missed tackles from a receiver versus these guys who are playing double the amount of snaps, and he's up there. So when he has the ball in his hands, he's a playmaker. Um, he excels on short routes, wide receiver screens, shovel passes, little gadget plays like that. But once he has the ball in his hands, he's a dangerous po- player, and um, I think he's going to fit in nice with what Miami's trying to do here. He is Ryan Smith at Pro Football Focus. You can find him on Twitter at PFF underscore Ryan Smith and the team page at PFF underscore Dolphins. Ryan, I do a podcast during the season I can't remember if it was Tuesdays or Wednesdays where I just go over the statistics from the game and I'm, I get in more into the stuff that you're talking about here opposed to just like yardage and stuff. And I, I'm really hopeful that I can get you on the podcast for a weekly spot. I think that's something we can make happen. Yeah, we can definitely make that happen midweek. Yeah, for sure. Recap that'd... the games and even look ahead to the next game. That would be good. That would be fantastic. We'd really appreciate that. And we really appreciate you coming on this podcast today. Thanks so much for doing it, man. All right. Take care. Bye-bye.
Man, I kind of feel like between the film that I do and the the deep dive and the analytics that he does, we could really form a, a very formidable duo podcast, and we'll look forward to doing that in the season. But as for this podcast, that's going to do it for this edition. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, guys. Give us a rating and a review once you are there. You can follow me on Twitter at NFL and follow the show at LockedOnFans, and follow our flagship show at LockedOnNFL, both on Twitter and Facebook. And of course, now the Locked On Sports family of podcasts for all your local and national coverage of your favorite teams, as well as the number one rated blog in the Locked On Network, LockedOnDolphins.com, for all your daily written Dolphins content needs. You guys have a terrific rest of your Monday. We'll talk to you again tomorrow for another edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast, your daily dose for Miami Dolphins football.